Hi everyone and welcome back to Marketplace Jungle, where we explore the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. I haven't decided yet if this episode counts as a deviation from that topic or not, but it's an important one nonetheless. I say it a lot, but many Amazon businesses are in trouble because they're exactly that, an Amazon-focused business. In addition to diversifying into other non-Amazon marketplaces, a customer-facing website is often a no-brainer. But without the benefit of a pre-existing marketplace audience, running your own online store isn't without its hurdles. The first of these is arguably the hardest, determining which technology to use to base your shop on. From Shopify to WooCommerce, BigCommerce to Magento, and everything in between. Now, this is absolutely not my area of expertise, so I've brought in a guest expert, James Gerd, a self-professed digital juggler and e-commerce replatforming consultant and host of the Replatform podcast. James has helped some of the biggest names in UK retail with their own replatforming projects, including House of Fraser, Victoria Beckham, as well as Mars, Samsung, and Colgate. In this episode, expect to learn which questions you need to ask yourself to discover which shop technology is best suited for your business, what the difference is between a content management system and a shop system, whether it's best to use plugins from a shop ecosystem or work with external technology via integrations, how to add value to your shop without simply offering discounts left, right, and center, how much customization you should add to your shop before it begins to take away more than it adds, and much more. James, thanks so much for joining on Marketplace Jungle. It's great to finally have you here. Yeah, appreciate the invite, Jesse. Thanks very much. Looking forward to it. James, you're host of a podcast specifically around replatforming. It's actually one of the podcasts that I heard in the space, which alongside Chloe Thomas's podcasts, plural, really inspired me to start the Marketplace Jungle podcast. So firstly, thank you for the work that you do in putting out that content. It's it's really great. And and for anyone listening, I can really recommend checking out the replatforming podcast. And, and I'm sorry, you have to remind me of the, of the name because I've got it saved. And I look yeah. at it monthly, but... Yeah, it's just replatform. Uh, yeah, really inspiring name. Replatform. Yeah. And the reason I, I reached out to you was because I, I specifically, this is an issue we face quite a lot with our customers at eChameleon is we'll often get the question of which shop system should I use to support my marketplace business? Specifically here in Germany, Shopware is a big platform and and they're going through a transition at the moment where they're basically, they've stopped supporting an older version. They're forcing sellers to migrate to Shopware version six, which for a lot of sellers is just opening the question of, okay, do I want to go to Shopware six or should I use this as an opportunity to go to shop? Play Should I go to Big Commerce, AeroCommerce, Magento? You name it. There's there's what feels like a never-ending list of potential shop systems. And on this podcast, we we look at marketplaces beyond Amazon. I'd like to extend that now to sales channels beyond Amazon because a lot of Amazon-first businesses look at what marketplaces exist beyond Amazon, but obviously they also look at how do I capture this audience myself? How do I build my own email list? How do I get customers who already know my brand? to now go to my domain name because they've discovered us. But what shop systems do they use? A lot of people will default to Shopify because it's the one everyone hears about, but there's so many options out there. And, and this is your this is your area. You've worked with House of Fraser, Victoria Beckham, Mars. It feels like anyone who's anyone at some point, you've helped figure out the answer to that question. So now 
from a marketplace business perspective, I'd, I'd love to throw the ball over to you to figure out what shop systems people can be can be using to support that business. Before we get into the details, can you give me a little bit of an introduction to yourself, what your business journey has been like and, and how you've gotten to this point where you do get to count some of these big names as your customers? Yeah, and I'm making the assumption we're talking about businesses who sell via marketplaces, not those who are going to launch their own mar- e-commerce marketplace for other vendors. Yeah, is that that's the audience we're going to focus on today because the, well, the two can have different answers. It's a very good distinction to make. I would say yes, mostly column A, perhaps a little bit of column B. Okay, well, we can focus on A and then we can talk about B as well. Because I think the other thing is, and this is something I've seen a lot recently, is there are businesses which are becoming what they would they call themselves a marketplace, but actually they're basically a retailer with a dropshipping model. And that's another distinction to make because I've seen people you know, building effectively a marketplace on Shopify. And it's not really a marketplace. Because they're not, they're still the seller of record. They're just passing on the orders for a dropshipping model. So maybe that's also something we can talk about briefly. But yes, primarily talking about marketplace sellers uh, that are looking now for a shop system to support their marketplace business. Excellent. Um, yeah, so very quick background so people don't fall asleep. Um, I, I, I worked in head as head of e-commerce and retail for about four years, um, mainly like Robert Dias, and and I went to launch a, 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 a help grow the e-commerce business at a um, traditional catalogue selling business in the UK. So I've traded and, and done things good, bad and ugly, uh, learnt from what works, what doesn't work operationally. I then went agency side to the dark side for a couple of years as an e-commerce consultant and, and running digital marketing team and worked with a lot of predominantly B2C retailers who were trying to grow their e-commerce sell and also in the earlier days of selling into marketplaces, growing on Amazon, Know, trying to explore additional marketplaces like maybe eBay, for example. This was before you had this massive explosion of specialist marketplaces, places like Etsy, Folksy, and growth of marketplaces in, in, in different countries. Like, you know, where you've got like a, a huge re, re marketplace retail like C Discount in France, for example. Um, then I've been an independent e, uh, e-commerce consultant for 16 years, and I focus on e-com strategy, of which marketplace is a small section, but it's it's a part of it. And replatforming, which is helping people make better decisions on what technology they should be using and why they're doing it, understanding the implications of that decision. So is there a simple answer? (laughs) Um, If I've got a marketplace business, should I just sign up for Shopify? I think there's a simple answer, but there's not a simple decision process because you've got to put the right effort. So if we're to do a a straw man poll, yes, you could go uh, go for Shopify. You can do that and you can launch it and other people have but you're not understanding what the implications are to you operationally. You're, you're not understanding what the cost implications are. What happens as you scale? Does it support you in year one versus year three and five? Where are you going? What what model will you be at in the future? So you've really got to start and be very concise about what it is you need. What what functional capabilities? You know, what are your resources and budgets? What are your skill set? And the reason for saying this is, is typically my starting point for any business that isn't a large business, lots of technical resources, you start with a SaaS product because otherwise, if you're going to thinking about like an open source or you know, a new composable system, you need more technical resource to set up, to maintain, to run, and you're spending more money keeping the lights on than you are if you use a true SaaS solution where basically the entire application and the hosting and the support and maintenance and the releases and the upgrades are all done within your license fee. So you have a single license fee that covers that. Yeah, this is why you know, merchants have moved away from, from platforms like Magento, which is now Adobe Commerce, 
which even though that's becoming better and more more um, stable and less um, upgrade work needed, in the past people have spent like £10,000 plus simply doing upgrades to remain compatible with new platform versions. So the, the starting point I would say is, is look at platforms like Shopify, Big Commerce, for example, and look at whether they fit your functional needs, but you've got to define those functional needs. What, what is marketplace selling to you? Which of the marketplaces? Because then if you look at that, for example, just take Big Commerce and Shopify as your starting point, they have different capabilities in terms of how they handle data feeds, product data feeds, which ones they're strong at, what native integrations they've got, and how far they go in terms of those native integrations uh, um, versus what you might need to create some customizations. So that I, for me, the starting point is get the get your requirements defined, and specifically product models are really important, like product data models, and um, and then look at those uh, and find out if there's any reason why you can't be on them. So, what are some of the questions that somebody should be asking themselves at that point? I, I mean, it, it's obviously uh, I appreciate we're, we're we're really generalizing here because a seller that's you know a two person team with a fifty SKU inventory is going to have very different questions to a fifty person team with twenty thousand products. But can we can we look broadly across the spectrum and figure out what what some of the questions are that somebody should be asking themselves to get to the point that they can make that decision? Yeah, so I always start with what's the current operational capacity around like in-house technical support and resource. So do you have anybody who can do standard web ops stuff, which is looking after a site, looking at configuration, ensuring that the website's working functionally so that the business users can use it? Um, and if you don't have those resources, you want to be um, or you should be avoiding open source solutions, more complex technological solutions like you know, composable stacks like the commerce tools, et cetera, because you need more resource to do that. And if you don't have it, you will have to pay more to an agency. And even even if you get a really good agency on like a, a you know, that's a Magento agency that's now doing Adobe Commerce or even Magento open source, even though they'll take away the heavy lifting, you still spend more per month just to keep the lights on than you do in proactive development. So where what do you want to spend your money on? Um, that's a starting point. The next bit is also your current setup. If you have an existing, you might have an existing content site, for example, and you want to turn it into a commerce site. Now, if you have a huge content site with thousands and thousands of articles and it's got a large audience, you get a massive amount of traffic to you, you've got an established organic search presence. You don't want to just suddenly go, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just do a new commerce engine and stick it in. Well, actually, you can create migration headaches and issues and you could hemorrhage organic traffic if you don't plan it. And, you know, for example, WordPress, you might be on WordPress. If you're doing that on top of just selling direct products into marketplaces like your own e-commerce store, well, actually, migrating WordPress into something like Shopify and BigCommerce isn't just straightforward. It's not just click of a button. You can have migration issues. So you then got to think about, well, actually, is my path of least resistance doing something like bolting on a WooCommerce plugin using a Woo development agency? And yes, I'll have to spend some money getting them built and I'll have to pay them some money to maintain it. But maybe my path of least resistance is doing that as a proof of concept to establish a sales channel um, and then grow it to the point where actually I'm I'm no longer going to get a good return on investment because the cost of maintaining and extending on Woo would make justify me now switching into a SaaS environment and doing that migration. That's a really a really nice example. Perhaps this is a this is this will probably show that I have zero expertise in the shop system world, but in your case here where you've got a, a business which has a very dense content-based website but doesn't yet have commerce enabled on there, maybe it's 
blogs around topic X and then they've started selling a couple of products around it as well that are doing well on Amazon and now they want to be able to sell them on their own website as well because that's where their traffic is anyway. In that situation, they're on WordPress. They've built this business. They've built blogs and whatever it is over 15 years of, of typing up a weekly blog, building up that newsletter. Could they also just set up a Shopify store and link from one to the other? You, you can do, um, but then you'll maintain. I guess you're maintaining two different uh, systems, and the shop isn't integrated. The for an initial proof, I think the question is: Is this just about proof concept? I just want to sell some stuff. If so, you could have it completely separate, um, but it's not going to be integrated into that domain because they're two different systems. And the only way you could integrate it into the domain uh, is pretty much if you went down the headless route, and you're not going to do that because of the complexity it brings. So you'll probably end up having. A, a, a subdomain or a, a different domain for the shop, like shop dot versus, yeah. versus your current one. There's no reason you can't do that. I, I think the advice I always give people is: is what what are you trying to achieve? It is this we've got a proper strategy and we want to launch a properly integrated um, uh, e-commerce experience where content and commerce are joined together. Therefore, we don't just have separation. Um, and we're not just putting links, but we've actually got functionality in content pages. Um, for example, you know, on a content page, having a carousel, which is shoppable, that you could do a quick buy from and instantly buy from that page, get into the checkout, minimum customer friction, which normally increases conversion. Or am I trying to limit my effort and just to get a basic stop, a Shopify store where the license fee is on, on the basic is, is, is minimal? Um, and I don't mind that the user journey is not perfect at this stage. I want to see if people are going to buy from my store. If I start getting the traction and start growing the sales to a point where, hey, this I should spend proper money, then I can invest in doing a migration to a, a, a proper solution where you've got an integrated user experience. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a really good point to make. It's it's all about what you're trying to achieve. Now, some businesses come to me with, like, we want to solve this problem. We want a a, a really high-end customer experience and others are just, we want to start selling. So path of least resistance is a great way of looking at it. So to bring the marketplace element back into it, one of the issues that we see for a lot of our sellers is aside the, so there's, there's two, two big issues that we see. The first is product data. Typically, if you've got a Shopify, as an example, if you've got a Shopify account, and you want to have product data in there for different marketplaces that you're connected to, it can get a bit messy. When you start having to have like your Amazon title, your eBay title, your C-discount title inside of your Shopify account as custom attributes, it gets a bit slow, it gets a bit messy, which is obviously where something like a PIM would come in. But the same is true for orders. We see a lot of sellers that will use something like a Shopify effectively as an order management system because they're already managing their orders for Shopify. So why not now get the Amazon orders in there? But then you start getting the eBay orders in there too and the Etsy orders. And then you have potentially tens, if not hundreds of channels with all their orders coming into a Shopify store, which isn't really set up as an order management system. And I'm wondering if you've got any advice for at what point it makes sense to bolt on like an order management system or a warehouse management system in addition to the platform, or if it's possible to somehow also use this shop system for that purpose, or if you would advise completely staying away from that? That's a very hard question to give a succinct answer to because it depend, I guess it depends on the volume. Uh, a lot of times, if people are, don't have sophisticated setups, then you're, you're not going to invest in a specialist order management system because the costs would be prohibitive. If you're turning over hundreds and hundreds of thousands of of you know, pounds, dollars, euros a month, 
then fundamentally you should be investing in that infrastructure if you're going to run your own e-commerce business. Otherwise, you're going to create an absolute mess and you're going to create a customer experience headache and you're going to just um, grind to a halt. So the, I, I think the most important thing is is understanding what you're buying and what it's for. Shopify isn't an order management solution. There are OMSs that can plug into Shopify. So the, the whole purpose of, of the modern SaaS, Shopify's big commerces, for example, and there are others out there, um, is that they they work as an ecosystem. It's not about being a Salesforce or an Adobe, you know, a hybrid, whatever it might be, where you just build all the functionality in and then you've got some cartridges to extend it. This is about core e-commerce and you know thousands of apps that are plug in and pre-integrated that allow you to, to have connectivity and perform uh, and they're they're pre-tested for performance, so they work um, properly with the commerce engine. But they give you the extra functionality, so you should be looking at scale to bring in specialist order management. The other way of doing it, I guess, is if you've got a three PL or your own warehouse, or however you're doing the fulfilment of your items, if you're not just handing that all off to like an Amazon through an FBA, for example, is is how sophisticated is the WMS and what's that doing? Maybe you can get away with just using the order routing logic out of a, a Shopify or a big commerce and push it down and the WMS is able to, you know, to make the right decisions in terms of where that goes. But it, that gets more complicated if you're in a true dropship model where you've got loads and loads of different suppliers who are all fulfilling different line items. And that's when you really need to get a proper OMS in place. Interesting. And I think uh, one one issue that we see from the order side as well with specifically now when you're connecting the shop system to marketplaces is that a lot of marketplaces also have different requirements around things like you have to provide a return tracking number at the point of sale. And that's something that we see particularly Shopify and Shopify having issues with. And I'm I'm wondering if you've come across solutions to that from a marketplace perspective. To be honest, on that specific use case, no. Um, uh, I don't generally get to that level of detail on it. I normally, my involvement is normally helping people select the technology and then the operational teams look at mm-hmm. the implementation. What, what normally happens in most of the businesses I work with, they will partner with a technology specialist. So, for example, I just worked with a, um, a skincare brand. They're working with a specialist agency who are Shopify experts who will do the store an app configuration for them to ensure that the, the data um, is set up to flow the correct way between systems. And part of that involves a decision on where data transformation is needed. And, you know, you've said, like, obviously, in your solution for marketplace commerce, you do data transformation to get the data in the right formats for the different channels. Um, other people from an order mm-hmm. management point of view will have, I guess, what you call a middleware or an integration layer. So stuff that comes out of a Shopify or a big commerce will go into that. The business logic sits there to do the data transformation, to create the additional data points that then go into the files that pass down uh, into other systems. So you know, the, the most critical thing is if you don't have the technical knowledge in-house of how to achieve it, number one, you've got to have the conversation during any selection process to ask how and how are other people do it. But number two, you fundamentally have got to get a technical agency on board that can demonstrate that they've done this with other clients. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's also something that, that we end up getting involved with as well with that middleware layer is because obviously we've with eChameleon we quite often will have to take data from, for example, an ERP and transit and transform it to a shop system as well as to a marketplace. So that's definitely a, a very important point. And I think the issue that a lot of sellers have is that 
each of those data sources will have their own different structure, their own naming, their own requirements. How long is this field allowed to be? It's the same thing as marketplaces. It's, it's the same issue across the board. So this opens up the question for me because, again, we, we, we've again fallen into the trap of synonymously using Shopify to describe shop systems. And I'd, I'd love to draw on your expertise to figure out what other systems are there out there. You've mentioned Adobe Commerce. You've mentioned Commerce Tools. You mentioned Big Commerce. But uh, there are others out there as well. I've seen Aero Commerce as well seems to be something that's growing in the UK. Can we maybe look at some pros and cons of different systems to figure out what might work for different businesses? Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it gets increasingly hard to do pros and cons because they're not like for like. Um, so you have to kind of look at where the core strengths are. So if I take the SaaS market leaders globally, not just, you know, there are you then get country specific platforms like in Latin America, Vtex is dominant, um, but it hasn't really grown into Europe yet. I know they take the big two SaaS the big commerce and Shopify that I guess would be lead in terms of like accounts um, and businesses they work with. The advantage is ecosystem and the number of third-party tools that have connectors built in where you, instead of in go back 10 years where I want to now add in a search tool, right? That'd be a 20,000 pound integration. So, like, oh Christ, that's expensive. Oh, that's going to take you four to six months. Well, actually, the, there are apps and connectors for, you know, I want to use Clayview, or I want to use Algolia, SearchSpring. Who do I want to use? Well, actually, for most of these leading um, third-party techs in the Marcom's ecosystem, they exist, and you can turn them on with some configuration and, and some front-end work. So there is always work, but you don't have the heavy back-end integration fees. So there's the big pro for it. Um, I guess in terms of cons, um, if to look at them, so uh, Shopify is not as strong as other platforms around B2B. It's definitely improved from its standard wholesale setup. It's got more functionality around like accounts, price books, et cetera, but it's not a leading edge B2B commerce solution. Big commerce on the SaaS comparison is ahead. Uh, they've specifically acquired, you know, they rolled out bundled B2B into the core platform. They bought quotation engines. They're increasing the, the functionality and bringing more and more stuff into the dashboard um, to make it easier for people to, to, to achieve more, like, like I guess, high-end account management stuff. So there are different comparisons there. With Shopify, historically, the big con has been yeah, you've got to use Shopify payments, which is a great system because it's built on Stripe and it has advantages because of the ecosystem around store as well, of using the same payments for unified accounts. However... Um, if you want to use a third-party payment gateway, you have to pay a transaction surcharge or penalty is what it should be called of 0.15%. Now they're starting to unwind that. I know there's a new uh, like product lead in there who's starting to unwind that. And I think Agen is going to be the first where you basically, you can just use Agen. It's all natively set up and you don't have to pay transactions. But if you're using like a Molly or something else, currently you'll have to pay 0.15%. That adds to your cost line. Um, so, Different pros and cons. Shopify's product data model is more limited in terms of number of variants supported, how it handles bundles compared with the likes of big commerce, Adobe, Sales. But that is changed as well, and they are investing there. So what you find is all these pros and cons over time start to change because of the the roadmaps. In terms of others, you mentioned Shopware very strong um, in Germany and in, in, in I guess Germanic based countries. Um, the move to six has, has made people reassess. Um, yeah, it's obviously it, it has um, benefits. 
um, in terms of uh, the ecosystem and, and moving towards more that, that um, you know, stronger SaaS app based. I guess the problem is as soon as you make people do a migration, you make people question. The the bit that, that I think is probably hard is is where's the differentiation with shopware? They used to be very strong native CMS with their customer experience and customer journey piece. But actually the other SaaSes have caught up because Shopify's got its um, um, uh, uh, sections everywhere. It's now added in like the, um, the the meta tag piece. So there's more flexibility around um, visual editing and, and story-based, content-based marketing. Uh, Big Commerce has, uh, has got a decent page builder, but it's also you know got leading CMSs uh, available to, to plug in. So I feel like some of the differentiators in Shopware are probably less impactful these days. And the biggest con they've got, if you get outside of Germany, is the um, ecosystem in terms of um, leading agencies and uh, leading brands that other brands can go to and go, oh, look, you've got X, Y, and Z. That's not as compelling as, as the market, I guess, the, the um, other SaaS platforms ahead of them. Um, yeah, I, mean, I increasingly find that unless you are a high-end enterprise business that has a you know, really complex international model, really complex um, uh, um, product catalog with lots of different product types and complex data models, for example, like customized jewelry, um, and you know, or isn't B two B with the complexities that brings in terms of of managing different different types of product, um, different uh, uh, you know accounts, different quotation processes and sales cycles. Then, then actually, it becomes much harder to justify investment in the high end platforms, the Salesforces, the Adobe's. Um, Hybris just simply because the cost model is way way more expensive, and I'm not I'm not like denigrating those platforms. They they do good things, and some customers are very happy in it. But every single cost model I've ever put together on any of those platforms versus Big Commerce, Shopify, other alternatives out there is is way more expensive. Um, and even the development fees I've seen plus you know, plus sixty percent on some projects just for the build phase alone. So I think for smaller businesses looking to expand e-commerce, you don't even start at the high end. You go for a very simple shop. And, and even the point you came to earlier is can't you just link to it? The other option is you, you get a good developer and you get them, you take a platform that's got um, like headless capability and you just embed cart functionality and product widgets um, into your pages so that all you do is you just take a standard site and you just add some very basic shoppable functionality. You don't use the core engine. You're literally using a checkout. And then you bolt on something like PayPal checkout for yeah. for the security aspect, I guess. Yeah, you could you could do. You could you, you could see No, exactly. You you could do you can you can I guess Heath Robinson, which is the take the rough approach, hack it, do something basic, even though you're still secure and safe and you're still compliant. But don't invest loads and loads of money if you if you're not sure it's going to work. Definitely. So uh, the plugin topic is an interesting one because it's one we come across occasionally. Where obviously, if if I'm talking to someone about using eChameleon to connect to marketplaces, one of the first questions is usually, "Well, why don't I use a, a Shopify plugin? I can transfer my data from A to B, no problem." And the, I mean, the easier the easy answer there for me is, well, yeah, but then you've got to keep your data in Shopify, and you've got to you can't put your Shopify title on eBay because it will be too long. So it's not just about the transferring from A to B, but it's what that data actually looks like. So that's kind of an easy problem to overcome. But plugins is a very 
big and messy world. And as at Shopify and big commerce in particular, there's a huge, there's huge ecosystems around both of them. Also with PrestaShop, PrestaShop contact us regularly asking if we want to build and promote a plugin. I'm curious if you've seen any, because certainly we've come across situations where plugins start to conflict with each other or too many plugins can slow things down. And I'm wondering if there's a balance that you've, that you're able to kind of advise on to help a seller figure out like where do I need plugins versus where do I need external tools that connect via an API or however? I think the same, same answer is it comes down to scale. Uh, and complexity. Like if you're using one channel, like you're only selling into uh, an Amazon or an eBay, and that is it. And you have very, you need one set of data. Do you know what you could do? You could do that out of a spreadsheet if you wanted to. You could do it out of a simple plugin. You could use one of the low cost data feed modules, where you can just set up the the data view as you want. If you have a PIM, for example, you could create a a data view simply for that and just send it out. That that's easy to do. The problem becomes managing it when you've got variety across multiple channels. You've got multiple languages and you've got the translation piece. Um, you've got different data fields. You've got different product sets per catalog because of restrictions of what can and can't be sold. And then that has country level variations. Um, and then even if you go to the next level, when you go up a step to a larger business, you've got different people getting involved. Doing that through an e-commerce system is not where you do it. It's not what it's designed to do. And you're right. It's not just shop me. You, yes, you can create custom fields, but why? my question would be, why would you customize a solution not designed to handle marketplace data management when you can just, instead of spending the money on customizing it, which then needs to be maintained because then any customizations are on top of the modern SaaS platforms. You're not customizing the core platform. It's not like Adobe. It's not like an open source like Magento you're extending on top of. So that's got to be maintained. And you're right, any any potential conflicts with what that's doing um, needs to be understood and mapped out, as opposed to in the same way that people with their product catalog, data management gets more complicated. They evolve into like a PIM and do all the, the product data structuring in there and push it into the e-commerce so they get all the right storefront views. That's where I, I would see marketplace specialists like yourself adding the value is you've done You've done the modeling and the configuration piece. Yes, there's always going to be setup work and ongoing work, but you're taking the headache out of it. What You're not having to rebuild it. You're using something that's proven and scalable. So we talked about PIM. We've talked about OMS. There's other acronyms out there that we can throw into the mix as well. We've got, we talked about ERP as well. Digital Asset Management, DAM being another one that will often be brought in. I'm, I'm curious if, if we now zoom out a little bit. Do you have a ideal picture of which technologies should be getting connected to or, or from a shop system in this infrastructure that we're kind of slowly building together here? So again, as you start off, you don't, if you've only got like 20, 30, 40 products, you can get away with a basic store, you know, pick, pick your name of, of software. There are, lo- there are loads of different um, softwares out there that can launch a shop. You've even got like Wix, for example. There's loads of things. You know, and you've mentioned things like Remarkable Commerce, Aero Commerce, there are lots of good platforms that suit a certain type of business. So there are platforms out there you could just go and yourself through the back-end tools, upload product data, out the spreadsheet, add images. When you get to the point where actually the admin effort of storing images on a drive somewhere, artwork in the images to get the versions you need, because a, a e-commerce platform by nature 
will not auto optimize to the level you need to get you know device ready assets across all the different channels you want uh, proper minification and compression to ensure that the images aren't bloating and adding unnecessary file sizes that's when you need to move into an automation and automation normally starts with product data because that's the thing that makes or breaks an e-commerce store you know, if it's if you've got crap content and crap data around your product it's hard to sell it that's when people normally look at okay well actually maybe we need a dam now we don't have to go to an enterprise class dam like a widen for example maybe we just take a, a simple dam that that just enables us to upload one image and it automatically generates the five image versions we need and they're all at the right quality and that's got an integration with the e-commerce platform i'm using and we'll push it in and that's into my product catalog so i think that's a pretty good starting point Product information management or PIMs, you don't, you often do not need them um, until you get to a. Normally, when you get to a level where you're, you have such a disparity in terms of the product data that's needed for web and other channels with your source data coming out of like an ERP or or a buying team, and the effort of doing that and maintaining it and keeping it clean with an e-commerce, it, it becomes a headache. Therefore, you would evolve to doing it and, and isolating that product data management out of e-commerce and into PIM so that all the data that gets into e-commerce is clean and ready for the storefronts. And that's really helps when you're going international and launching multiple storefronts and not having to worry about, right, so I've got to upload this data into the UK store, but this stuff's going into the US store. That gets really com- complicated and confusing if you're trying to do that manually. That's when that's when a PIM typically comes in. But I think the biggest one for a business that's trying to sell and grow and make money is is content management because it's amazing how if you don't get the, the CMS bit set up right, and you can do it in the e-commerce stores without a third party, that you end up, you know, if you end up with a store where you can't control the content dynamically and you're reliant on developers to make changes, that's the issue. So one of the big advi- biggest advices is make sure your store set up from the start for you to be able to very quickly edit and manage the content that you want to be able to, and there's hardly anything that's reliant on a developer to make changes for you. What do you mean specifically when you, when you say content? Because if I think... Because content management system is kind of a synonym for shop system in a lot of cases, depending on the business. But, you know, if I'm using WordPress is my website, i.e. content management system, I think the, the terms get thrown around a lot. So what, what do you mean by content in this context? Yeah, well, um, so I, WordPress is a content management solution. It's not a, a shop system, an e-commerce. So I, I need to call it shop as an e-commerce. E-commerce is the functional capability to sell on the site and take payment. So WordPress can become commerce enabled, but that is through like a, a Woo plugin. Or if you're using headless commerce capabilities like a, a, a headless shopping cart and embedding it into the page. But but WordPress is doing your content management. The, the key thing that, that businesses don't think about is they might have like a message banner at the top, which is, you know, a service message banner saying free delivery um until midnight friday and they update that regularly depending on the season and key messaging a lot of sites when they launch first off and they're new to e-commerce they'll get that built as a um as a uh, a widget and that is hard coded they can't change it if they want to change it they have to go to developer and ask them to change the configuration or they need to be html editors in order to be able to edit it and change it but if they're not strong in html which most business owners aren't and most people who are marketplace sellers aren't technical. I know some will be. I'm not trying to like you know, d- uh, dismiss that. But if you can't edit HTML properly, you can end up editing HTML, 
cocking it up, causing the conflict and screwing up your page. So you don't want to get into those issues. So content is anything that is is um, non-transactional, it involves images, text, banners, whatever it might be that you might want to at some point change, edit, remove, move on the page. Think, And there's even things like form fields. Like if you have a lead generation form or an inquiry form, can you edit the labels on it? Can you add and remove fields? Like have you got the right setup? In WordPress, normally it's plugins and then you get, the access to the plugins, but in other systems, things might have been built by a developer that you now can't access. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And so I, I guess for, for a smaller business that's maybe starting out, maybe the idea of getting an external developer is an, an option. Do you have any advice for, or perhaps it's a, a marketplace first business that's never had a transacting website. They don't know if the domain is going to bring anything. So they're maybe wanting to test the water a little bit first uh, with an early version of the site. And if, they see success, they'll invest in a, dare I say, real website later on down the road. In that scenario, can you recommend a shop system that is as that's sort of user-friendly that you don't need to have an agency or an external developer for, or is it just not possible? You're going to have to get that. No, it is because I helped a friend of mine who's not remotely technical. He's a very creative, ambitious person, launch a Shopify store. Uh, my answer will be Shopify. That, I mean, we... we and solutions like Wix have a look at, but they don't, uh, as, you know, as far as I can uh, I can see, they don't have the same ecosystem and the same simplicity of scale because it will co- it will be more complicated to then grow if you then suddenly want to push into more like advanced e-commerce. But Shopify's got the plans from, from Shopify Basic right the way up through to advanced into Shopify Plus. Um, the, the one big advantage for me was Shopify, um, and I'm not trying to evangelize it at all because – You've got to, as I said at the start, look into it properly and make sure you're happy with what it is, how it works, and what you're paying. The big advantage is Shopify payments. You don't want to have to be selecting the payment gateway, setting up merchant accounts, making sure the payment gateway is working. But you want to just trade and add products and sell. So Shopify payments is built on Stripe, which is global. It's PCI compliant. It's one of the most used and performant um, payment gateways that opens you up to key payment methods, not just um, international like cards, credit, debit, but also things like wallets like Apple Pay. Um, PayPal not. PayPal would have to be separate. That's the only thing. So you wouldn't be able to do PayPal for your payments. But also local payment methods in, in countries like you know Germany, um, uh, you can turn on um, relevant payment methods for each market if you're going international. So although you pay a slightly higher um, processing fee than you would if you went direct to maybe an add-in. You've got none of the, I've got to set this up and make it work and make sure that, it, that, that there's no issues in my payment side. Taking that headache away from a merchant is massive. It's massive um, because you can just rest in peace and go, right, do you know what? I've got the functionality. I've got standard themes where I don't have to design it. I can just pick a theme that I think looks nice, up to update my logo. I could change the color schemes if I want to. I can now put in my product, put in my content, I can launch, I can go live in a matter of days if I really want to. That's really, days is, is incredible because that was going to be my next question, right? I was thinking if, if not an agency, I wanted to, I wanted to ask budget in terms of time and or money. If I'm looking at doing this as a trial project, as a, as an initial website launch, how much time and or cash should I be setting aside to get this off the ground? Is it something I can do on the, on the weekend? Is it something that's going to be a few weeks if I can dedicate everything to it? So, yeah, good question. If you're organized, you can get launched in a couple of days, but that's not realistic because to be organized, you have to plan. So I'm talking about once you've got everything ready, 
you could get your storefront up and running in a matter of days. Because you, if you're taking the, the the standard Shopify plan, you're not looking at like integrating with any backend systems. You've got no like you know ERPs, WMSs. You're if you're a simple business, which is I'm going to sell, I'm taking orders, and then I'm going to do all of the dispatching and, and the product and the fulfillment piece manually like i'm going to just take it to the post office because i'm doing it out of my bedroom or my my garage which is what my my friend was doing um then you what you need to do is you need i would give yourself give yourself a four-week planning period so that you don't rush it number one is you've got to define what you want from your store so what 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 are the key features you want people to be able to access other than being able to view a product add it to a cart and pay um, what content do you need to go around the products? Have you got any, like, for example, do you have any um, essential content, like how-to guides, anything that you need to, to put into pages that support your selling? Then you need to get your product um, catalog sorted. So you'll need um, a CSV file that aligns with Shopify's product data import model. So when you set up on Shopify, it will tell you, here's how you import your products. This is the spreadsheet version. These are the columns and the data uh, we need. You've got to get that populated. That normally take. That's normally the biggest thing to get it right because you'll find that most people's data isn't quite right, and they need to add stuff in. Um, and if they're working with suppliers rather than it's their own product, then they've got to go to the suppliers to get that information to put into that spreadsheet. And then you've got to make sure you've got all the images, and then you've got to upload it, and then you've got to check it, and then make sure your store set up and and looking and do all the testing and, and validating visually it looks right and flows. And then you've got to do some dummy payments yourself once you've turned on like Shopify payments because the last thing you want to do is go live and realize that you haven't done something right. You want to go through as a customer, end-to-end, try, process a transaction, make sure all the orders are coming through fine, you can see it and you're happy. So I would, I would say give yourself at least four weeks for that. If you can give yourself longer to just take more time, great, but you can, you can realistically do that in four weeks um, and then be ready crazy it's scary what you can what you can do with with the right piece of technology there so i think to to wrap things up james i have to ask across all the shop systems across all of the different projects that you've worked on are there any underlying tips for success that you've seen is it a, maybe it's a plugin that you've seen that you think no e-commerce website is complete without or maybe it's a, a process or a tool or a, or an idea that or a philosophy that people need to bring to this um, do you have any final words to leave us on in that regard? So number one is it, 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 the philosophy is know your customer and know what value means to them. If you don't understand what they consider value, and value isn't price, it's different. Value is, is what does what is the benefit of the product and what is the benefit of the service and buying from you to that customer? You've got to understand that because if you don't, why would someone buy direct from you and not from Amazon? Because as much as I, you know, I'm not a massive fan of, of Amazon, um, I know it's a necessity for a lot of businesses for many, many reasons, um, because I believe in diversification and, and, and competition. But what it's done really smartly is basically taken away friction from purchase because um, the site isn't beautiful, right? The, you look at the site, it's not enjoyable to shop on that site, but damn, you get the product quickly when you want it. And hey, if you're a Prime member, well, you're not paying for delivery because you know that, that actually you're ordering more um, more items than, than the uh, cost to you on the annual membership. So they've taken away the friction. They know what value means to those customers. You've got to rethink that in your world. You're not going to be cheaper than Amazon. You can't offer an Amazon Prime because you go. most businesses would go bust instantly if people get ordering for them at that. So what is it you're offering? What can they get of value? What's unique? And nail that in your proposition and get that communicated and give people reasons to shop with you. The next bit is 
is just clarity of information and process. People need to know what the cost is and the, uh, the landed cost, not just what the product is. Don't hide delivery costs. If you've got a flat rate delivery because you have to, stick it on the product page, tell people and explain it. So they've got that up front. Don't drop hidden costs into baskets and checkouts. If they've got to pay tax and duties, if you're doing international, if you're not charging it and they're going to have to uh, cover that local, look at some of the um, the plugins. There are some plugins that do estimations. Um, I know that in Shopify Big Commerce, they ha- I can't remember the name of the one now. I think it's Z- no, Zonos, I think it might be. So there are things that help people because what you find is is, is you get an increased rate of, of, of um, returns. If people turn up to collect an item and find they've got to pay $30 in tax and duties and your item's worth £30, you'll find that some people will go, I'm not taking it, and then that's blocked and then it comes back and it's a cost to you. That's essential. The next bit is is actually treat your customers like you give a give a toss about them. When they buy from you, don't just be, here's your order confirmation, thank you, now here you're on my sales emails. Thank them, follow them up. How do they enjoy it? Do they get a good experience? Put an NPS survey in after a couple of weeks, follow up and go, how did we do? You know, um, NPS? Uh, sorry, Net Promoter Score, acronym world. So this is one where you go, based on your experience of us, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend? Then if somebody says, we're not, we rate you two or three, throw it up as a priority go, we're really sorry. What's gone wrong? Tell us. What could we do better? If they're really delighted, maybe push them on to, hey, guess what? Um, do you know we've got um, these other products or you know, we've got a loyalty scheme? There are so many things you can do, but it all starts with, with actually understanding a customer, valuing them, and communicating and rewarding them for behavior. So every when they buy, reward them. It doesn't have to be with discounts. That's the common mistake. It's not just have 20% off. But look at then when if somebody goes on to buy a set, second time, they're now becoming more loyal. That's the tipping point for loyalty. Now you properly reward them. What can they get that no one else that no one else can get? Only people who buy two or three times. So really think through that reward journey and look at and then look at the technology that can help you achieve it. If you can't if you can't do something manually, do you have a general idea? If not if not a discount, what other forms? What what else does value? Uh, what other forms does value come in? So it could be extended. Warranty. If you've got an item where a warranty is 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 relevant, so shop direct online. You know, standard manufacturer warranty might be twelve months. Shop online with us, and you get three year extended warranty. And that is, you know, that's basically your investment in them giving you better margin because you'll get better margins when they shop direct. The other bit could be exclusive content, events. Um, you know, maybe if you're if you're servicing a particular audience with a, a product which is a solution based product, maybe it can be video content or advice and guidance that helps them as a business make better decisions or to use a product more effectively it could even be in b2b if it's b2b it could be connecting b2b um, customers and sharing information and helping people there's i guess there's different ways it could even be um uh, um, early access to new products so you know thanks for being a a loyal shopper Our, our new product drops in in august you're going to have two weeks exclusive access to the stock before anyone else. So th- there are different mechanisms where you can I've seen a few companies that do that well, actually, with, with exclusive access to new products and even uh, like product testing, effectively get a, get your next product for free if you leave us a good review somewhere. Um, yeah, good idea. Okay, James, look, I'm very conscious of your time. I'm, I'm aware we're at the top of the hour, so let's uh, call it a day there. But thank you again so much. It's Again, this is a topic that's that I don't have that much exposure to other than trying to figure out, like, okay, how are we going to get this guy's data out of Shopify and help him build a 
successful marketplace business. So it's really interesting to explore it from the other side. Um, and I, I think there's enough follow-up questions that we're going to have to do this again. I generally will get a few messages saying, hey, you should have asked this. So I'll keep a note of those and, and drag you back on for another episode in the future. But until then, thank you. And for anyone listening that you haven't checked it out already, do check out the Replatform podcast because James goes into a lot more detail there around pretty much every topic we've already discussed today. Yeah, uh, thanks very much for inviting me on for the plug. And also, if any of your listeners have got questions, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll happily share share advice. Always happy to. Brilliant. Thank you, James. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen into this latest episode of Marketplace Jungle. As you've likely noticed by now, the shop ecosystem is not something I've needed to have much exposure to in my career in the e-commerce world. So this was really interesting for me to learn a lot more about the kinds of challenges facing online businesses when setting up an online shop as opposed to marketplaces. I hope you also learned something from James, but I assume that for many of you, it might have been a bit too top level. Unfortunately, that's my own lack of shop experience getting in the way of being able to ask the deeper questions. But if you want more detail, I would encourage you to check out James's podcast, Replatform. That's Re colon platform, or reach out to him on LinkedIn. You'll find the link to both of those in the show notes. Thanks again for joining, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.